Good morning. It's been a really busy weekend. We've all been doing lots of great things this weekend, right? As you walk out of the building today, you're going to see 50 of our middle schoolers uh, arriving. They've been on retreat all weekend, and 50 parents have had a break. It's been great. We're doing a series of messages on the Beatitudes, and we're doing one a week. And the thing that I've discovered each week as I have embraced them is what life they give me, that God speaks to me through these words. And if you'll take the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and you will embrace each of the Beatitudes, you will find life in those Beatitudes. This is something I discovered and believe is true. You can find the entire gospel message, the whole wealth of Scripture, in just one Beatitude. Will you pray with me? Lord, today as I share the word that you placed on my heart, may it not just be my word, but our word and your word to us. Today, thank you for Jesus who gives us permission to be human and to share where we really are in life and to be open and honest with you and one, with one another. Today, not only as we hear these words, may they connect us to you, may they connect us more deeply to one another. We now pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Everybody say. Here is the reading of the word. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. This is the reading of God's word for God's people. Peace be with you. When I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, I was really scared. Inside of me, there was a whole hurricane of emotions I was feeling for my family, for myself, for our church. I was very unsure about what the outcome would be. And even though I stand up and preach and read and feel a closeness to the Lord, I was scared just like anybody is scared. Mike Stewart, who was a member of our church at that time, was, was an elder. He's now living in Nashville with his wife, Barbara. Mike called me on the phone and said, David, can we meet for lunch? I said, yes, and Mike and I went to lunch. Mike is a cancer survivor, not just one time, two times, three times, four times. He's battled cancer off and on for several years. When Mike and I sat down for lunch... I shared with him very intimately the things that I was thinking about and that were on my mind and my heart. And he listened so patiently. And he had so much compassion just in the silence and the way he listened to me. Then he told me his story, how he got through it. And then there was a moment that I'll never forget. Mike, who was a football coach, kind of a tough, crusty old guy. Uh, Mike uh, reached across the table 
and put his hand on my wrist. So tender. And he leaned toward me and said, I love you. We love you. God loves you. He says, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you're going to be okay. In that moment, it was like those hurricane feelings just kind of stopped for a moment, and I just felt this incredible peace. And there was something in that moment that was deeply imprinted on me that I believe is a truth. And the truth is that when we're in a moment of distress, when we're in a moment of distress and fear and anxiety and grief and loss, the best, most powerful words of comfort come to us from those who have already walked our path. Let me say it another way. The best comfort comes from those who have been where we have been and who are on the path that we are on. I thought about that this story this week because that, in a sense, is the gospel message. Because when we, when we share the good news of Jesus, we're not talking about someone who is removed from our human experience. We're not talking to someone who avoided pain and suffering. That Jesus himself, God's son, experienced every emotion and feeling that we've experienced. He too walked our path. He grieved. He was filled with sorrow. He wept. He cried. He hurt. He was touched himself by sorrow, sadness, and pain. And the good news of the gospel is, is that he, this one who was scarred, is our wounded healer. You may remember at the end of John's gospel, after the resurrection, uh, Thomas was there and was having trouble believing, and he was grieving his loss. And what did Jesus say? He said, I want you to know that I'm real. And he said to Thomas, Thomas, take your hands and touch my hands and put your hands into my wounds. For this reason, this is good news for us, because today in the second beatitude, we see that Jesus takes us to a vulnerable place. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now this is not a platitude. This is a beatitude that expresses a truth that in our deepest moment of sorrow and loss, the one who's walked our path reaches his hand across the table to us and says, I am with you. Now, now this is a beatitude unlike the others in the sense that, you know, you may not be poor and you may not be pure in heart. You may not be meek. Gosh, some of you are not meek. But everyone in this room knows what it's like to mourn. We all experience loss. Right? We, we, we lose parents. We lose children. Uh, we lose siblings. We lose friends. We lose jobs. We lose competitions. We lose dreams. We lose ideas. And at some point, we even lose that younger vision we have of ourselves that always thought we'd be young and immortal and we'd never be wrinkled and it would never be hard to reach over and just tie our shoes. Yeah, yeah. 
no matter how hard we try, you know, I know what we do, we all do the same thing, we try to get that plastic bubble wrap and insulate our lives, and we even do it to our children. We wrap our children in protective bubbles, we try to protect ourselves, but ultimately we know that because we are human beings living this human experience in life, that at some point something's going to get through to us. My niece Bailey uh, just recently graduated from the University of Texas. Uh, permission to boo. Um, I'm not a Longhorn, I'm a TCU fan. She graduated from University of Texas, and I'm really proud of her. She was a communications major, and she just took a sales job, and she's excelling in her work in the Houston area. She moved to Houston, but she went there all by herself. I asked my mom, I said, how's she doing? She said, I think she's doing pretty well, but you know she's having a hard time. And then she reminded me. She said, remember how hard it was for you when you left Vanderbilt, left behind your friends, and went to a small church in Tennessee, and you were all alone? I remember that. I, it was one of the hardest moments of my life, and I really grieved Loss comes in so many different ways. While I was at that church, there was an older couple there by the name of Lillian and Carmel Griggs. They had been married for 60 years. Carmel was still living in the home where they raised their family. Lillian was in the nursing home because they were unable to care for her at home. He was getting home health care at home. She was in a nursing home. And it was actually written into my job description that I would go visit Lillian and Carmel every weekend or sometime during the week. And often as a part of that experience, it was very sweet because they really loved each other. And they would pass little love notes, and I was sort of the messenger between the two, what they wanted to say to each other back and forth. But I'll never forget the moment when I was sitting with Carmel and talking to him about his wife, Lillian, and about their life together. And then he just had tears on his cheeks, and then he looked at me and he said to me, David, don't ever, ever fall in love because when you get to be old and you're separated from the person that you spent your life your whole life with it's just so hard that next Sunday I went to the church and I preached a sermon I don't really remember what the sermon was about but I'll never forget the experience because it's never happened to me in a sermon it hasn't happened to me since is as I started to tell the story of Carmel and Lillian, I told the story about what he said to me about love, and I guess just feeling all my emotions at them, I just started to cry during his story, and then through the whole sermon, I just kept fighting back tears all the way through the story. And someone said that the Holy Spirit came to church that day. I don't know if that was the Holy Spirit or not, but I do know this, that in that moment, the reason I was crying was I was crying because of my loss, and I was mourning. But I was also crying because of Carmel and his loss and Lillian's loss and their mourning. But even more so, I wasn't just crying for their loss and for my loss, but I was crying for the losses of everyone in that room. Because all over that room were people who had lost family members and children and farms and ideas and dreams. And really for the first time in my life, because I'd been touched myself for the very first time by sorrow, I was able to connect to everyone in that room and feel very profoundly. And in that moment, maybe the Holy Spirit was there. 
Because as I open myself and we opened ourselves up to our feelings of loss and acknowledge them, we became church in a way that we had never been before. It's interesting, the word in Greek here for the word mourn is the strongest possible word in the Greek language for, for mourning. It's almost indescribable. It's an utter sorrow and a feeling of hopelessness when our heart is broken. Sometimes people will translate this to say, blessed are those whose hearts have been broken. What I'm describing here in this beatitude is that our broken heart or our sorrow is what we feel, but mourning is something that we do. And I love this because Jesus is really doing something very meaningful here. He is saying that when we are brokenhearted and we mourn and express our grief, God meets us in our place of deepest sadness. Do you know what he's doing here? He's giving you, me, the permission to be human. Because sometimes in the church, sometimes our church, other churches, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking we're not supposed to be human. It's like that song, Stained Glass Masquerade, which says, is there anybody hurting here? Is there anybody real here? And the song says, we hide behind plastic steeples as happy plastic people hiding from one another and wearing our masks, a mask that says, I'm okay, I'm brave, I'm strong, I'll be fine, I don't need help, don't worry about me, but behind the mask, I'm not okay, I'm scared. I'm weak. Please help me. But Jesus, is, Jesus never says in this text, does he? He doesn't say, blessed are you when you have a stiff upper lip. Blessed are you when you never are bent by life's trouble. Blessed are you when you're able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Blessed are you when you are tough and you don't show weakness. Blessed are you when you put on a mask and you don't let people see on the outside what you're feeling on the inside. No, Jesus said you can be human and not only can you be human, but as you share your whole human experience with one another and with God, God shows up in a way that he can't otherwise. That's something the psalmist understood. That's why when you read through the psalms, you, you hear all the human emotions. God, why are you doing this? God, where are you? God, Psalm 63, I am standing in mire and I have no place to put my feet. I'm sleeping, slipping deeper and deeper in and the water's coming up over my head. That's what the psalmist says. We can be honest. There, there's a, there's a early church fathers. You, are you familiar with the early church fathers? Maybe not. Uh, it's not exactly the most exciting reading. I mean, I mean it's good, but it's just old language. The, the early church fathers wrote a lot, of, a lot of books. The early church fathers were the second, third, fourth generation after the apostles passed away, and they wrote a lot about what it means to follow Jesus. They wrote a lot about the church and so on. Uh, and they wrote a lot of things that shaped what we believe. Well, there was an early church father, two early church fathers from Syria named St. Ephraim and St. Simeon. And they were interesting because they weren't so much in the head. They were more about the body and the physical experience. And they actually said this. They said, 
that our tears are a sacrament. You know what a sacrament is? A sacrament is a fancy church word that means a means of grace. So communion is a means of grace that when we break the bread together, we experience the grace of God in a special way. When we are baptized, we experience the grace. It's a means of grace to us. They are saying that when we cry, when we weep, when we mourn, it's not a time where God flees from us, but it's something that draws God to us. Now, I'm talking about mourning. I'm not talking about moping. Those are two different things. But tears are a sacrament. In fact, St. Ephraim actually said that we don't fully know who God is until we ourselves have wept. I remember thinking about Carmel. And you know what I never did ask him? I never asked him. I never said, hey, Carmel, would you do it all over again? I wish I, wish I would have. Carmel, you remember when you saw Lily and he told me a story? When, when you saw her across the ballroom floor in your high school gym and you saw her and thought she was the most beautiful girl ever and you walked across and asked her to dance, would you ask her to dance again and would you marry her again and raise your kids again if you knew you were going to be here in this place? I know what his answer would be. Of course. Did you know, <laughs> did you know that the 21st century uh, psalmists of the world today are country western singers? You know why? Because their music's so honest. Such as the pop theologian Garth Brooks once said, I could have missed the pen, you know, all life can be a chance. I'm going to butcher it. All life could be a chance. I could have skipped the pain, but I would have missed the, the dance. You know, that, that's why it says in Ecclesiastes, and, and maybe I said this earlier, I don't know, I've already preached this sermon three times. But all of life, you know, it's all, there's a season for everything in life, a time to be born, a time to die. A time to mourn, a time to laugh, a time to weep, a time to dance. It's part of life. So here's, here is this word then. This word comfort, okay? Let me pull the Greek out of it for you, okay? It's a word, it's a Greek word, parakaleo. Parakaleo. And that's an interesting, it's two words, two Greek words brought together. One word means Holy Spirit. The other word means to call or to summon. So when Jesus says, blessed are you who are mourn, for you shall be comforted, he's not talking about the comfort that our world talks about. Because when our world talks about comfort, it's not talking about comfort, it's talking about numbing you when you feel sorrow. How do we comfort ourselves in the world we live in? We numb ourselves with all kinds of things. We feel pain and so we drink. We feel pain so we buy. We feel pain and we spoil ourselves. We feel pain and we comfort ourselves with food. That's how the world teaches us to mourn, to comfort ourselves by numbing ourselves. This is a whole different thing that Jesus is talking about here. What he's saying here is that when we feel pain and when we mourn, what happens is God doesn't give us a hopeful word or an encouraging word. He does something better. His Holy Spirit, the paracleo, comes and lives in us. When Jesus was with his disciples in John chapter 14 and he's about to leave them and they're grieving, he says, I'm going to send to you my comforter. Same word. I'm going to send myself to you 
in your grief and I'm going to live in you. In fact, at one point when he shows up at the end of the gospel, he breathes on them his life. It's like in that moment in your life when you are crying and weeping, God breathes his life into you. But there's a second part of the word, the word kaleo. And the word kaleo is the Greek word to call or to summon. This is what it means to me. That he comforts us by giving us his presence and then he calls us to something. What is it? When he comforts us, he's calling us to something. But what is it? What is it? He's calling us to embrace our suffering rather than to be numb to it. Because as we feel our full range of human emotions and experiences before God, we become fully alive. Real love, as we see in Jesus, real love has always been touched and always will risk vulnerability and will be touched by sorrow and loss. That moment in my life when I felt such sorrow for leaving, by the way, babies can always cry. Always. She's talking to us. That that moment in my life when I felt such sorrow or where you feel sorrow, it made me a better pastor. No, actually, not a better pastor. It made me a better person. It gave me empathy and connection. And it's the same with us. It's so cool. It's so wonderful. This whole, that, that mourning is not something to be avoided, but something to be embraced. As a gift. And you know what? This, I think, is, is, a, is a great thought for us to hold on to. That we have a gift to offer the world that's not being offered in many places in our world today. A wonderful gift. And you know what the gift is? It's the gift to teach our world how to mourn. Because our world doesn't know how to mourn. We don't know how. I see a grief counselor shaking her head right now. Sherry White shaking her head. We live in a world that has lost the art of knowing how to mourn. The Israelites, the Jewish people, knew how to mourn. We have a gift to teach the world how to be real and to mourn. So there's two, there's two things in here for us. Here's our challenge. The first challenge is to mourn. Not just for ourselves, but to mourn for the world. To allow the world to touch us so that we mourn for the suffering in our world. And then for us, for us, to comfort as we have been comforted. For you and for me to reach our hand across the table. And make a human connection with another person who's hurting and say, I love you. We love you. God loves you. I don't know the outcome, but you're going to be okay.